Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. Every summer we return to, or have been returning to, John, uh, the Gospel of John. And it's not like a summer filler, so I don't mean to think like that. This is just an opportunity for us to basically sit at the feet of Jesus. To enjoy everything that he has for us. Because Jesus is for us. He is God's gift to us. He is the reason that we're here. And so if it's alright with you, I'm just going to keep this quite simple. But I just want us to enjoy Jesus this morning. So I'm just going to put out some things that I think Jesus himself is saying through this passage. Um, and hopefully just gather our attention towards him. And just fix our gaze on him. So last week, Hilly um, took us through the feeding of the 5,000. So just for some context, if you weren't here last week, Jesus has just performed this incredible miracle where he's turned five loaves and two fish into enough food to to feed 5,000, as Hilly explained last week, maybe even 10,000 people. So on the back of that miracle, the people have gathered and they've tried to force him, or they want to force him, to become their king. So he's disappeared off um, into, into the mountains that we're told. His disciples have gone off ahead of him to Capernaum, and Jesus then casually does this little miracle where he walks on water, and then we get to this, this part. And we're told right at the beginning of this passage that the crowd follows seeking Jesus. Now actually that is something that is very easy to miss the first time you read this. And I have to admit I missed it several times when I started diving into this passage. The people were seeking Jesus. And yet actually later on in the, in the passage, in verse 66, we're actually told that many of the disciples who are following Jesus actually walked away. So we're not talking about people who follow Jesus, we're actually talking about everyone. And as I kind of dwelt on that, I made me realise that actually the whole world in its own way is seeking Jesus. We don't think of it like that, because that's not how we're taught to think, right? Jesus is for weird people who love Jesus. And, and the world just does its own thing, but actually there is this huge hole I think that exists in people's heart and they're trying to fill it with something that we were created to fill with Jesus. For some of us we find it in our careers, I know I can be guilty of that. I love my job sometimes and I love my career and I've always been that guy who kind of just pours himself into it because I get some sense of fulfilment and satisfaction out of it. That's not a bad thing, but it can become a bad thing if we seek to fill our lives with those extra things. You know, If you look around at the world, you look at the the modern relationships that we see, if we look at the way that we, we treat relationships in the modern world, we look at the way that we treat uh, fame, you know, Insta fame or like social media fame, if you look at the way that we, I don't know, uh, pursue wealth and money, all of these things are just pointing to the fact that we're actually seeking something. But the question is, are we seeking the right things? And of course here, Jesus is saying, no. Why do you seek things, or why do you seek food that perishes? Verse 27. You know, these momentary things, yeah, sure, might satisfy us for a time, but can they satisfy us quite wholeheartedly as Christ does? Now, I think we want to just pause and reflect on actually what Jesus is offering us in this moment. Because reading scripture through Western eyes, we can often get caught up on the wrong part of the scripture. And that's because we know most of us speak Greek, and it's a joke. Um, most of us don't understand ancient Greek. Most of us don't understand the emphasis on sentence, on words, and things like that. But actually, the way that Jesus says, I am the bread of life, is vital for our understanding of who he is and what he has for us. 
So let me just break it down. I just want to call out two very specific things about this, the key verse in this entire passage, which is, I am the bread of life. Firstly, when he says, I am, he uses a very peculiar way of saying it. Right? He uses, in the Greek, it's ego, emi. In other words, he's kind of saying, I am, I am. Hi, I am, I am Richard. It's a kind of weird way of introducing yourself, right? I am, I am, unless it has some significance. And this is actually in John's Gospel, this is the first of seven times that Jesus uses this way of introducing himself. So he says, I am the bread of life. In uh, chapter 8, verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world, or I am, I am the light of the world. Uh, 10.7, I am the gate for the sheep. 10.11, I am the good shepherd. 11.25, I am the resurrection and the life. 14.6, I am the way, the truth and the life. 15.1, I am the true vine. And so seven times Christ introduces himself as, I am, I am. And where else have we heard that phrase used before in the Bible? The burning bush? Does this ring any bells? When Moses turns to the burning bush and says, well, Lord, if you send me to your people and they say, what is your name? What am I to say? He says, I am who I am. Right, and this is the same thing that Jesus is saying. So right off the bat, Jesus is making it very clear to an informed public who would have understood what he was saying. And he's saying, first off, I am, I am, I am God. Right, that is a bold statement to be making. Although he had just performed an amazing miracle. But actually there's something else in the order of the sentence. If I was to say to you, the bread of life I am, the emphasis changes, right? But if I say to you, I'm the bread of life, the emphasis is on the bread of life. But actually, in the Greek, again, you flip that round. So Jesus isn't actually saying, I'm the bread of life. He's saying, the bread of life, I am, I am. And when, when they do that in Greek, the emphasis is not on him being the bread. The emphasis is on him being him. The emphasis is on Jesus. If you're anything like me, I think I can sometimes get caught up with what Jesus gives us. Right, because he's given us his life. He's given us so many things that a lot of the blessings that we receive in life, we can sort of directly point to Jesus and go, that's amazing, you answer prayer. But actually, he's saying so much more than that in the statement. And if we finish that verse, what does he say? I am the bread of life. Or, the bread of life, I am, I am. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So now if we understand that scripture in the context of the focus being on Jesus and not on the bread, then actually what he's saying is, I shall, you shall never need anything else. You shall never want for anything else because you have me. So in other words, what Jesus is offering us is utter fulfillment. What he's offering us is ultimate satisfaction, is complete and utter joy. Not because what he has for us, but because of who he is. John Piper, he's the um, pastor and theologian, he says this, saving faith is being satisfied with all that God is for us in Jesus. Not has, not has for us, but is for us in Jesus. Now, I want us just to dwell on this because once this goes into your head, this is the most freeing truth that we can possibly stand on. And let me explain why. You see, saving faith, which is a lot of what is being expressed through this, is about coming to faith. Those who believe in me, right? This is about saving faith. 
Now, the obedience that flows from saving grace is not one of trying to be holier. It's not one of trying to be more godly. It's not one of trying to do the right thing. It's not, you know, if you're sitting there in the morning struggling to do your devotional, right, like I have to admit, I sometimes do. The mentality is not, I need to work hard, I need to be better, I need to be a better Christian, I need to be holier. What he's saying here is, if you do this, you will be full of joy. Saving faith is about an abundance, an overflowing of joy in Christ. It's not about working for your faith. It's not about working your obedience out. It's about just enjoying who Jesus is. So when, in 2 Timothy 4, 7, it says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. That fight is not a fight for holiness. That fight is not a fight to be a better person. That fight is a fight for joy. And that's what the Christian life is about. It's on offer. That's what Jesus is saying. I have this for you, this overflowing joy. Now come to me. See, we are all seeking Jesus in our own way. I think even as Christians, we can fall into this trap. You know, we look for him in relationships. We look for him at work. We look for him in distraction and entertainment. We look for him in so many things, in the comforts of life. But Jesus is saying, you shall never need anything else other than me. You shall never want anything else other than me. And that's the amazing truth, because once that, you land that in your head, and once it sinks into your heart, you realise that no matter what is going on in your life, however hard it might be, that true satisfaction is, it doesn't come when you, your life gets a bit easier. Which it did sometimes, but it's when, when you realise how glorious Jesus is, who he is for us. See, Jesus wants us to be fully satisfied in him. And that's what a lot of this passage is calling out. But we seek it in the wrong place. And it's not really a surprise that in verse 34, the people were taught by saying, Sir, give us this bread always. I mean, who wouldn't want this bread, this everlasting joy, this overflowing of happiness? I mean, if you could be happy all the time, no matter what life threw at you, would you want that? I mean, I would, right? And they say, Sir, give us this bread. And this is the exact same language that the woman of the well uses when Jesus says, when he asks for water. Sorry, he says that he is the the water of life. She says, sir, give me this water so that I will never be thirsty. It's exactly the same language. Sir, give me this water. Sir, give us this bread always. Verse 26, Jesus goes on and says, you seek me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Now, I could just reiterate the same point, but I'm going to make a slightly different one. Now, we as a church have been getting behind evangelism, we've been trying to do outreach, um, and actually I think in this sentiment is, is something quite important for us to know, because certainly when I first became a Christian, a lot of my default sort of response or explanation for that is that, you know, God had pulled me out of this dark place, you know, I was going through a pretty, pretty horrific time um, at that time in my life, and, and I, you know, Jesus, Jesus had kind of put me on the straight and narrow, he'd, he'd you know, brought me up from the depths kind of thing. But the problem is, the message is still about today, it's still about the finite, it's still about what I've got out of a relationship with Jesus, it's still a personal thing. But actually, what Jesus does here is tell some very hard truths, very hard truths, and then he gives the gospel of grace, and he says, this is my body that I gave for you. So I want to reflect a little bit on that. You seek me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. You see, these 5,000 people had just seen the most ridiculous miracle 
where Jesus had taken two, five loaves and two, two fish, and he distributed it amongst them, and they filled their bellies, literally filled themselves to the point where they couldn't eat anymore, and there were still buckets loads left after, and he was saying, that's great, I do that too, but don't miss the point. And when we, whether we're Christians or not, seek those things in other things in life, whether it's your job, whether it's relationships, as I said before, all these different things, the reality is we've been too easily satisfied. Too easily satisfied. Because Jesus is saying here, don't seek the perishable, seek the eternal. Seek the constant, overflowing, abundant joy that I have for you, that fully satisfied thing that only I can give you. Be satisfied in me not in what you can get out of this life. Do not work for the food that perishes, it says in verse 27. It's momentary. It's a momentary pleasure. It's a momentary feeling. Now, we all feel good when we get that sort of praise from our boss because, you know, we've put in the extra hours and we've done the thing that no one else could do. And that's not a bad thing, so don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying, like, avoid these things. Not at all. What I'm saying is don't lose sight of what Jesus is actually saying here, which is it's about him. It's about who he is and what we have in him. Because the reality is all those things that he gives us, he does give us abundant, uh, abundant blessings and cruises. Amazing. Like, God does do these things, right? He does them all the time. Claire and I have just, uh, I think I've mentioned this before, but we've just found out we've got a new place signed off, which is amazing because not having a job, it's very hard to get a new place. Um, and at the same time, he landed me uh, some contract work. So I've now got contract work and I've got money coming in for the first time in about nine months, which is amazing. Um, so God has blessed abundantly. Right? These things are said, these are not bad things, but they're not even close to what I already have in Jesus. Not even close. They make life a lot easier, true. But they're not even close to what we have in Jesus. And so they ask in verse 28. What must we do to be doing the works of God? It's interesting that the word work is used there. And I think in a sense there is a sense of responsibility. It's not just a matter of saying, you know, okay, Jesus did some amazing things and do nothing. There is a work here. There is responsibility on us. And what does he say? Well, actually he says it's quite a simple thing. That you believe in him who he has sent. That's it. That's it. What do you have to do to get a job? Do the skills test, do the interviews, do the CV. It's hard work just to get a job. Jesus is saying, just believe. And abundant satisfaction, overflowing joy can be yours. That's it. Just believe. So how do the people respond? Well, what sign do you do then? Because, you know, that that sounds good to me. But like, you know, I mean, five loaves and two fish into 5,000. Yeah, that's not... Give me another one. What else you got? What else you got for us, right? I mean, come on. And let's be honest, if we were there, we'd probably be doing the same thing. And their bellies were empty. They were too focused on the temporal. They were too focused on the here and now. They were too focused on their feeling of emptiness. So they were saying, what else? What, what else are you going to do? And he said this. I'm going to give life to the world. Drop the mic, man. And what do they do again? They grumble. In verse 36, he says, Jesus says this, he says, you have seen me and yet do not believe. And this, of course, is what makes Christianity the most unique faith in the history of mankind. 
Because Jesus is actually saying, you have just seen me perform the most incredible miracles. I've just declared myself God to you. I've just told you that everlasting joy is yours if you just believe in me. And you've seen me, you've literally seen me in, in, in flesh and blood, and yet you still do not believe. And the reason for that is simple. None of us can. We're full of sin, we're full of pride. There is something inside us that just resists. And so you kind of come to this precipice, this utter hopelessness in a sense, that all this incredible joy, this overflowing abundance is ours if we just believe, and yet we can't. Not, not one of us here could have done, unless God did something radical. And so what I'm going to do now is I'm just going to talk you through five things, quite quick, five things that Jesus then goes on to say, right, that, that are so fundamental to our faith. And sometimes we can, we can kind of pass over the gospel, right, because we hear it all the time. But this is the important stuff. Without this, none of the rest matters. Number one, verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Let me make this super, super clear. If you know Jesus today, you know Jesus because he chose you. He chose you before the universe was even a universe. He chose you before God invented time. He chose you before you were born, before you knew how many, what kind of your eyes would be, how tall you would be, in Marcio's case, very tall. God knew you before all of those things, and he chose you. He chose you. He chose you. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Jesus chose you? I mean, that is just the most incredible thing. We are utterly incapable of choosing him. So what does he do? He reaches out and he chooses us. The most humbling thing about our faith. Now, the crazy thing is, actually, I think society really struggles with this because society makes us feel like a number, right? You've got a national insurance number. You've got a passport number. You know, we're told, reminded constantly at work that anyone can come in and replace us. You know, everyone here is replaceable. It's like, is that one not getting another pay raise? Okay, thank you very much. Even in the city of London, we're very transient. Everything about us is very fast-paced. We move and people come and go. We're just numbers, right? Nine million people. Dennis said earlier, nine million people in London. We're just one of nine million people. But actually, the maker of the entire universe chose you. Chose you. We're not a number. We're not just a random thing. Jesus chose you. Number two, you're given as a gift. So again, verse 37, all the Father gives me will come to me, will come to me. See, he guarantees your coming. When you came to Christ, God brought you. As I said before, it wasn't your own choice. You couldn't make that choice. You were unable, but God chose you. He brought you your gift. God opened your eyes. And at the right moment, he does this. He just transforms our hearts, opens our eyes, and helps us to see who he is. Because we're utterly incapable on our own. Number three, you will never be cast out. Again, verse 37, it's all the 37 to 40, it's like the critical part of this passage. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Giving is the sovereign work of God. Right? It's God's sovereign plan to choose you before time begins, but it is Jesus' sovereign work that keeps us. Okay, so God, is, God gives you as a gift to his son, and then Jesus keeps you as his own. 
the one we are told who upholds the universe by the power of his word, the founder and perfecter of our faith. He keeps you precious. Here today, if you've, had, if you've been having a tough season, like I think it sounds like a lot of people have been having a tough season, we've been having a very tough season. And yet the one thing actually, let me tell you a little bit. And they're encouragement, I guess. Um, because I, I was incredibly encouraged this week. I've been kind of, it's been a difficult couple of weeks because although I've just landed this contract, I've also got client work I need to do. So it's been kind of two jobs for me, basically. And then I'm trying to prepare for a pre- preach. Um, and as I opened my notebook to start writing, um, I read the last thing that someone had uh, spoken into my life. Um, this was months ago now. I just read it down. I just said, I am pleased with you. And just in that moment, I was just like, <laughs> you know, I've been running this race of just like, all right, now I need to get the preach done, the preaching up, you know, I need it to be good and impactful and all this stuff. And I just felt God just say, I am delighted in you. These are amazing truths. You're chosen, you're kept, you're never cast out. I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, keeping your faith intact. Number four, you will have eternal life. Verse 14. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Not if, but when the last day happens, God will raise us up. And that includes our bodies, by the way. Don't figure. Crazy. And then the fifth thing. This is all the unshakable will of God. It is the unshakable will of God. Now, I just want to cast us back to, and this is verse 39 again, and this is the will of him who sent me. Uh, but I want to cast us back to Isaiah 46. Um, actually, let's get Pete. Can we get the band up? I told you it was simple this morning. <laughs> Because we've just heard some radical truths that I really want us just to enjoy. I mean, this is about enjoying everything that we have in Jesus. Again, not because of what he gives to us, although he does give those wonderful things too, but because of who he is, his very person, his very being, the author and creator of the universe who chose you, who now keeps you, and your faith is a gift from him and is sustaining him. And, it's, and, and, and this is the one who is who's making the promise to us. It says, Isaiah 46, verse 9 to 10, For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. This is the God who chose you. I don't know if you, when I was um, an early Christian, and I, and I know this is the experience of a lot of people because I've heard others say the same thing, you have that kind of weird moment where you're like, am I saved? Like, did anyone else get that? Has anyone else had that moment? Like, right, yeah. It's kind of like, am I, I think, I know, I believe, but am I, am I really, did God, is that, did God, has God chosen me? Am I saved? Am I really saved? Jesus is telling us in this passage, it's not about you. It's about God's eternal will, His sovereign plan, 
He did choose you. Because he's chosen you, he's given you as a gift to his son Jesus. And because he's been given as a gift to his son Jesus, that it is God's sovereign plan to give you as a gift. It is then becomes Jesus' sovereign plan to keep you as his gift, cherish you, love you, nurture you. Why? Not to give you lots of fun things, although he does some of that too, but because through him and in him, we have an utter, ultimate, complete satisfaction that we will never find in anything else that this life has to offer. Yeah. That is the gospel.